This morning from Ephesians, beginning the first part of chapter 2, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Have you heard of this television series called Reservation Dogs? It's co-created by a guy named Sterling Harjo. He's the primary writer and director. He is a native Oklahoman. He is Muscogee Heritage and a member of the Seminole Nation. He says his goal is to tell stories that are accurate about Native Americans in America today. This story follows four teenagers. It's already received critical acclaim and any number of awards. The first season is streaming. You can find it online. I've watched it recently. That whole first season is filmed in Okmulgee, my hometown. So I recognize the old buildings as they're driving down a street or in a park. These four teenagers that the story is telling us about have lost one of their best friends to death. They are struggling with what has happened and how to make sense of losing one of their best friends and now what to do. The young man who has now died had a dream of going to California, imagining a better life. So these four that are left decides that's their dream too, to go to California for this imagined better life. Yet they deal mostly with poverty and problems. They don't have the money to go to California. It leads them down a path of petty crime where they're trying to come up with enough money to pile into the car and drive to the West. While they're trying to figure all of this out, one of them begins to have this experience of a spirit coming to him, a former warrior who died at a battle, little big horn, He said, I didn't kill anybody and no one killed me. In fact, my horse put its foot in a hole, fell over, broke its leg, killed us both before we ever got to the battle. And yet he keeps showing up and asking questions to this teenager, helping him discern what is this meaning of life? What path should I be on? Where should I go? How do I get there? The series portrays so vividly 
the struggles that all of us have to figure out where is the path to life. It portrays the same issue, the same idea that Paul wants to deal with today in this letter to the Ephesians. What is the way to life? What does the path look like? How do we recognize it? Paul began speaking metaphorically in that very first verse. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. You're living and yet you're dead, Paul says. You're not truly alive. You're not living the fullness of life. As I was reading through the passage, it reminded me of those passages from the Hebrew Scriptures where they talk about choosing life or death. One of the well-known ones is from Deuteronomy when Moses is trying to rally his people. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him, for that means life to you and length of days. Paul describing different paths of life that we can take and he's pointing out that some lead to death and destruction and others lead to life and wholeness and fullness you can hear as he describes the path to death in those first few verses he says following the course of this world following the ruler of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient then he goes on in verse 3, All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Paul says we all have this experience of least looking down, if not going down the wrong path in our life. And it's a path to death and disobedience and destruction. But true to Paul's experience of God loving him, even before he knew it, even before he turned to Christ, he sees God at work in leading us to life. Verse 4, he turns to this life that God offers and says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Paul is describing the nature of God for us in this passage. He's highlighting the mercy and the love of God that is offered to us. The compassion and kindness, the way to life, if you will. In verse 7, he says in a little different way when he's talking about what God has done in Christ and says the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus those will be shown to us for ages to come, Paul says, this immeasurable kindness of God that's revealed to us in our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Henry Nouwen writes a lot about the love of God and receiving the love of God, but he says in his experience, people really struggle to believe that they can be gifted with this grace from God I want to read you a few lines out of one of his writings 
He says, the voice of despair says to people, I sin over and over again. It's better that I get out of the people's way, be forgotten, no longer around, maybe better dead. This strangely attractive voice takes all uncertainties away and puts an end to the struggle. But Jesus came to open our ears to another voice that says, I am your God. I have molded you with my own hands, and I love what I have made. I made you with a love that has no limits. Do not run away from me. Come back to me, not once, not twice, but always again come back. You are my child. I am your God, the God of mercy and compassion, the God of pardon and of love, the God of tenderness and care please do not say that i have given up on you that i cannot stand you anymore that there's no way back it is not true i love you because you are beautiful made in my own image an expression of my most intimate love so do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty, a beauty that you may have lost sight of, but that will become visible to you again in the light of my mercy. Come, come, let me wipe your tears. And let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. As I read Paul this week, I thought Nowen's writings sound so much like what Paul is trying to express. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. God's love abounds for each and every one of us. Are you willing to receive the gifts of God? Are you willing to open yourself to God's love and mercy and let that transform your heart and your whole life forever? You are saved by grace. It is the keystone of the gospel. It's the heart of the good news that God loves you and me and every one of us, despite where we've been or what we've done, despite our failures or our successes, no matter where we were born or where we have gone, God's love is available and being offered to you and to me and to every one of us. I've thought about how different theologians have tried to express this in their own lives. Paul Tillich, one of the great theologians of the last century, in his most famous sermon, which was on grace, put it like this, you are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted accepted or i thought about john wesley great theologian founder of the methodist movement when he 
had this experience of God's love being bestowed upon him, poured out upon him, and forgiving him of his sins, even though he had grown up in a parsonage in the life of the church. He was an ordained priest. He had this experience as a young man, and he wrote in his journal later, I felt that my heart was strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Paul wants these early Christians to know that God's love is available to them. They do not have to do something so worthy to earn it earn it it's not an award to be won it's a gift to be received are you ready to receive the love of God in its fullness this grace this unmerited favor from God and are you willing to let that shape your life from this moment on Jesus talks about it in the Gospels. Jesus makes it clear in his parables, I think. If you think about it, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan's walking along. He finds a guy who's been beaten up, laying in a ditch. He knows nothing of the man. He doesn't know if the man is worthy or not of his love and care and compassion and resources. But he asks no questions. He sees the man in need. That is enough. And he responds with this generosity, this magnanimous spirit of care. Picking up the man, bandaging him, taking him to a place where he could be cared for even as the man goes on about his duties. Or I think of the parable of the loving father or what we often call the parable of the prodigal son. You remember the young man said to his dad, basically, I'm going to treat you like you're dead. I want my inheritance now. I've got this. And he takes the money and goes off. It does not end well. He finally heads back home in defeat as a failure. But as Jesus tells the parable, he says, the father was there watching, waiting, looking, and when he saw the son coming from far off, ran to him. Now, he didn't know if the son was repentant or recalcitrant. He didn't know if the son would receive his love or reject him again, and yet he ran nonetheless and threw his arms around him and embraced him and welcomed him back into the family home, back in with great love and care and compassion. Paul summarizes it by saying, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Can you hear the good news? That God's love is extended to you and to me. But before he quits, he has this last little nugget in verse 10. As he wraps this up, he says, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
saved by grace, saved for good works. On Monday afternoon, I was down at City Hall. The Human Rights Commission was meeting in conjunction with the Compassion Tulsa movement. You may remember that movement a few years ago. Cities around the world were adopting this compassionate charter, saying that they would elevate the values around compassion and kindness and help and sustenance as they made decisions about government programs. Lots of cities adopted it. Tulsa did. Lots of churches and other interfaith organizations affirmed it. Our own Vicki Langston out of this congregation serves on the Compassion Tulsa Task Force. She wrote earlier this year and asked me if I knew of anyone that I might nominate to become the Compassionate Tulsa of the Month for all during this year. Every month they're going to highlight a person. She said we want to ordinary people, just everyday people who are going about doing good work, sort of unsung heroes. Belinda Clanton and I talked about it, and the person that sprang to our minds first for both of us, Fred Freeman. Do you know Fred? He's a member at Historic Vernon AMG, our, our AME church, our partner church in Greenwood. He plays their organ in worship. He's their treasurer, lay leader, trustee. And in the midst of COVID, when their church was shut down and hungry people were coming to their door, he and their pastor decided they needed to open their doors and begin to feed people. They called the ministry God provides, for they didn't really have the money or the resources to do so, but they put the word out that they were going to feed people best they could. As if Fred wasn't already doing enough, he volunteered to be the chief cook. He goes before daylight down to the church and starts to cook a hot breakfast, bacon, eggs, potatoes. They serve hot breakfast to anyone who comes. And then once they're done with that, he begins to prepare a filling lunch. Other volunteers come and sack up groceries so people can take food with them if they need it. Many of the volunteers come from right here at Boston Avenue and go over and volunteer their time and work with Fred. It's amazing to me, day in and day out, how they've been able to feed people and not just a few people. Fred says they've served over 600,000 meals in the last two years. Fred just a regular Methodist guy. Except for I think he knows the truth of what Paul says in this letter to the Ephesians, that he is saved by grace, but created in Christ Jesus for good works. Thank God for offering us divine grace. Thank God that we're able to receive it and share it with others so that it flows into the community in the name of Christ. May we each receive God's grace and share it with others, for this is the path to life. This is the path to life in Christ, even in difficult times. Amen. And thanks be to God.